This podcast is brought to you by Bruner Communications, your best resource for public speaking, presentation, and storytelling skills. Visit LizBruner.com and take your skills to the next level. How does a person go from claiming to have come out of the womb with existential angst and a being totally unhappy child to writing a runaway best-selling book on the topic of happiness? We're about to find out. Hello everyone, I'm Liz Bruner. Welcome to Live Your Best Life. I am honored and thrilled to have joining me a woman whom I've admired for a very long time, a number one New York Times best-selling author, an expert on happiness, success, and unconditional love, the beautiful Marcy Shymoff. Marcy, welcome to my show. Thank you so much, Liz. I'm delighted to get to be here with you. I'm so thrilled to have you. Your books have sold more than 16 million copies worldwide and translated into 33 different languages. And we're going to get to a few of those books today. But let's start with Happy for No Reason, Seven Steps to Being a Happy Person from the Inside Out. Boy, do we need that more than ever today, don't we? That is so true. Unhappiness has been an epidemic in our society for a number of years. I mean, in history, most people have more than ever, and yet people have been unhappier than ever. Mm. That was before COVID hit. So now since COVID's hit, we're really in trouble in terms of the whole happiness thing. But the good news is that there are some very practical things that people can do to actually feel better even when things aren't great on the outside. You know, I want to get back to that point about before COVID hit and how after COVID hit, because I recently read that 45% of Americans feel that the pandemic has affected their overall well-being and happiness, and it's all due to chronic stress. And I would imagine that you've probably seen levels of people's happiness change because of this pandemic as well. Oh, it has been so dramatic. You know what I've seen? I've seen people uh, going in (laughs) in two very different directions. Some people they perhaps didn't have a strong sense of happiness on the inside Mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. And it really, it was like the rug got pulled out from under them and they just are really not doing well, perhaps very downward spiraling. And then there are other people that are saying, you know, no, I'm actually using this time to reassess my life, to look at what matters to me. I'm changing my lifestyle. So it's a healthier lifestyle. Those people are actually feeling better since the pandemic. Stress is certainly one of the biggest happiness robbers we have. I mean, stress is not a good recipe for happiness, but there are really different ways to be able to handle the stress. Mm -hmm. And so we see the differences in people's experiences based on how they're handling the stress. Yeah. And one of the things that you write about in the book is that happiness in many respects is the one thing that everybody wants more than anything in the world. We all want that. And yet it seems so hard to attain sometimes. It's true throughout history, the one thing that people have wanted, all times, all cultures, anywhere, we want to be happy. I actually believe that the purpose of our life is to expand our capacity to experience true happiness, not the outer happiness, but the real inner happiness, and to expand our capacity to love. We're here to learn our life lessons and to connect with this inner state of happiness, The reason that I think we've been so unhappy is that we've 
I know it's cliche, but it's true. We've been looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Yeah. We've been looking for it outside of ourselves. We've been looking for it in everything outside. And when something like the pandemic hits, and we've been basing any of our happiness on outside things, and those get taken away, it's not a very strong foundation for happiness. You say that in this external piece is that I'll be happy when X happens, or I'll be happy when Y happens. And where we are right now, we don't know when things are going to end. There's no end date for this pandemic. And so when you're talking about ha being happy for no reason, you're talking about it from that internal standpoint. I am. I'm, my definition of happy for no reason is an inner state of peace and well-being that doesn't depend on your circumstances. And that doesn't mean you can't have great circumstances, but it means your happiness doesn't depend on them. And I think most of us have been trained to think that our happiness is really going to, we're going to be happier when, just like you said, the I'll be happier when myth and you fill in the blanks. I'll be happier when I get a better house. I'll be happier when I get a better job. I'll be happier when I uh, get married or I'll be happier when I get divorced. You know, it's just always the when. So it doesn't work. And Liz, I, I love to sort of share a little bit of my own journey on that because I really learned this the hard way. As you said in the, in the beginning, I came out of the womb with existential angst. I was a depressed kid and I had really great circumstances. I had a great family. Everything around me was great. You, sh you thought I would have been happy. Not. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, I did what most people do. I set five goals for myself and I figured once I get these five goals, that's it. I'll have what I need to be happy. And I'm just going to share with you the five goals because I think that a lot of people will be able to relate to these five goals. I thought if I had a great career helping people, that was number one, wonderful husband or life partner, fabulous friends, a comfortable home, and the fifth one was the equivalent of Halle Berry's body. <laughs> we all want that. All, yeah, I figured when I got all five of those, that would be it. I would be certainly happy. How could you not be? Well, I got four out of the five. I don't have Halle Berry's body, <laughs> but I, I do have a healthy body, which I'm grateful for. And I really had a, a turning point moment. It was back uh, in 1998, and I had three books in the top five on the New York Times bestseller list at the same time. And I had just finished giving a speech to 8,000 people. And I had autographed 5,432 books. I felt like an author rock star. And I remember going up to my hotel room after autographing that last book and my client had got me the penthouse suite. And I walked over to the huge windows overlooking Lake Michigan. This was in Chicago. And I took in this beautiful view and I turned around and I fell onto the bed and burst into mm. tears. And I burst into tears because I realized that I had worked so hard my whole life to get all my ducks in a row to have all these things so I'd be happy. And honestly, I still had that same empty pain in my heart. Mm. And I just realized this was the end of the line. I could no longer fool myself into thinking that just the next thing was going to make me happy. Right. And this is when I got serious about studying happiness. I went and I interviewed all the researchers out there and I interviewed 100 unconditionally happy people and I started practicing what it was they were doing and it worked. 
it really worked. And that's why I'm so passionate about this. <laughs> you know, I, if you were giving me a grade back then, I would have been a, I got a D plus in happiness. And today I'm a solid A. And that doesn't mean I'm not a work in progress because I am, but it's solid. Thank God for, for this. And, and I've now learned that this is just actually anybody can learn this. You know, you talk about that in your book and it's the research that you did and you really dug into the science. And this is a fascinating point where you say that, that we're almost like having a thermostat. We have a happiness set point that we're born with. And you went from a D plus to an A and that you can change that. Explain that concept a little bit because I think that's kind of hard for people to grasp. This to me, Liz, was the most exciting part of all the research that I read because it made, it, it's what made sense to me about why I hadn't been happy my whole life. And your dad so was happy, a, right? Your dad was yeah. really happy and you were not happy. I was not. So here's, here's how this works. We all have a happiness set point, like you said. It's like a thermostat setting. And no matter what happens to us, whether it's good or bad, we will tend to hover around that happiness set point, that thermostat setting, unless we do something consciously to change it. So it's the thermostat setting or the set point that's the key to everything. And here's how it's determined. It's 50% genetic. Now I was not born with the good side of the genes. <laughs> my dad was a happy guy. My mom was not. And I got more of her unhappiness genes, but that's 50% of the equation. 10% of the equation and only 10% tiny piece of the pie is our circumstances. Aha. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. We're spending all of our time and energy trying to change that little tiny piece of pie. And it's not that important. The other 40% is our habits of thoughts and behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's the piece that we can all do something about to change our happiness set point. And I'm going to take it a step further and say that scientists in the field of epigenetics, people like Dr. Bruce Lipton, who wrote The Biology of Belief, mm -hmm. they will say that the genetic portion, remember I said 50% was genetic, that the genes can be influenced by changing our habits. Mm -hmm. which means that up to 90% of our happiness set point is in these habits of ours. And what I found is that there are 21 main happiness habits that people can shift to shift their happiness set point. And I'm so glad you outline all of those in the book. And the other thing that I thought was so interesting too, you talk about that happiness is not luck. And we're talking about making those changes in your habits, that it's a skill that can be developed just like learning to play the piano, for example. And if we can practice those habits, those 21 habits that you talk about, we can change that set point. You went from a D plus to an A. <laughs> what do you do when the barometer takes a dip though, Marcy? Yeah, I really, really appreciate that you brought up this idea of, of learning to play the piano. I'm actually, I'm 62 and I just started learning to play the piano three months ago. Bravo. And thank you. Um, and what I'm noticing is it's not about sitting down and practicing for two hours. It's about practicing 10 or 15 minutes a day. It's small baby steps mm -hmm. that create the changes actually in the brain that create the changes in learning to play the piano. It's the same with happiness. The things that, that aren't going to make us happier are not huge, huge changes. They can be big changes, but they're small baby steps that taken consistently can really, really change things. And they're in seven different areas of our life. They're not just you know, oh, start thinking differently, though that is one of the mm -hmm, areas. Mm -hmm. There are seven areas because it's, I've seen that we need to take a holistic approach to raising our happiness set point. Science is a big piece of, of the book, but 
the other thing that I loved too is I'm a big fan of Einstein's and I think you are too because you quote him a few times in the book as well. And he said that the most important question we can ask is, is this a friendly universe? And it really was one of my favorite concepts in your book, because if we can believe that the universe is there to support us, no matter what is going on, all is well. And I wanted just to have you touch on that a moment about, is this a friendly universe and that all is well? This was one of the most remarkable ahas I had in doing my research. When I interviewed these unconditionally happy people, and they were from all walks of life and from all different kinds of backgrounds and histories and all of that, what I noticed is that they all had this basic belief that we live in a friendly universe. And that didn't mean that everything went their way. They didn't mean that everything was peachy keen in their world. But it meant that they had this, this belief. Someone called it being an inverse paranoid. So instead of thinking that the world is against me, thinking that the world is for me. So they felt like if something happened that they didn't necessarily want, that there was some lesson or gift in it for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, we can't prove this, but what I've noticed is I adopted that in my own life, and I've noticed that life feels very, very different coming from the angle of, you know what, life is for me rather than against me. And one simple, simple thing that people can do if they're in the midst of a challenge and it feels as though life is against you, is to ask yourself this question. If this were happening for a higher purpose, Mm -hmm. or if this were happening as a gift to me or in my favor, what could that be? What would be the higher purpose? So look for the lesson or the gift in the situation and just see if having that perspective doesn't change the outcomes more quickly. Yeah. I love that. And another theory that you you touch on in the book is that we are really here living in a soul school. And you heard people share near-death experiences, and they all report sort of this same experience and being asked one simple question, which is how much did you grow in your capacity to give and receive love? And it sounds so simple yet many struggle with giving and receiving love. Why do you think that is, Marcy? And, you know, I love that question. It's as though we have a final exam Mm -hmm. at the end of our lives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a one-question, open-book, final exam. How much did you grow in your capacity to give and receive love? I think that we are not trained, first of all, to be very self-loving. You know, it all boils down to an inner sense of, I'm okay, I'm worthy. Not based on, not conditional, not like I'm good because I cook well or I'm good because I do a good job at my work. Or it's, but it's, it's a sense of unconditional worthiness. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that, not something my parents had mm. <laughs> particularly. It's not something that, that a lot of people have. Actually, my dad did have a lot of deep inner worth, which, which is very, very deeply correlated to a sense of happiness. But again, I think it's about training. It's about training ourselves and learning. If this is a life lesson school, then some of us are signed up for uh, self-compassion 101. (laughs) Right. Well, you share a lot of these theories and concepts in many of your other books, Love for No Reason, Your Year of Miracles work, all fantastic. And then six book titles in the phenomenally successful Chicken Soup for the Woman's Soul series. 
And many people probably know Jack Canfield's name as initially creating the Chicken Soup for the Soul book. And he is one of your mentors. You and he were both featured in the book and in the movie, The Secret. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I'm very fortunate to have had Jack as a mentor. And he's a great human being and and loved getting to co-author. My first book with him was uh, Chicken Soup for the Woman's Soul. And we were both interviewed to be in the movie The Secret. And we had no idea what the secret was going to end up being, that it was going to end up being this huge movie and this worldwide phenomenon. And I've since traveled all over the world speaking to large audiences, 10,000 people and more, about uh, the basic idea of the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And the, the secret for those people that don't know, it's based on the idea that our thoughts, our feelings, our words, and our actions are all creating energetic vibrations that are going out into the atmosphere and, and that we are, we are attracting to us based on the vibrational match of our thoughts, words, feelings, and actions. And so we have, we have a great ability to uh, influence life around us, our own lives. And that is another concept that I think is very hard for people to grasp. And particularly, I think, right now with what's going on in the world, because there is so much division, there's so much challenge for people, so much chaos, and yet it comes all back to that energy and your thoughts and your feelings and what is that higher purpose if we can all kind of come at it from the universe is here to support me. And that's very hard for, I think, a lot of people. I absolutely agree. And, and you know, the other thing I think that's hard for people is to understand the connection between my own happiness and how that's going to contribute to the people around me or to my community or ultimately to the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is that we are always influencing people all around us all the time. It's called emotional contagion. We catch the emotions of the people around us just like we catch their colds. And we all know people that we, we don't want to, we don't want to be around certain people because we don't want to catch that mood of, you know, aunt so-and-so or, you know, the neighbor. But likewise, just as we might catch the negative emotions, when we are happier, when we've raised our happiness set point, people around us are catching our positive emotions. We are really dramatically impacting the people around us. So if we want to help make a difference in the world, I think that we need to both raise our own happiness set point and then also do what it, whatever it is that we are called to do. I think we're each here on the planet. In fact, one of those seven areas of our happiness set point is living an inspired life. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're each here for a purpose. And my purpose is not the same as yours or, or anybody else's. But when I do what it is I'm put on the planet to do, then it really, it serves me. It's one of the, it's one of the keys of happiness but it also serves everybody around me. Well, you are inspiring millions around the world to live more joy-filled, happy, empowered lives, to live their best life. What does it mean to you to live your best life? And how are you doing that? First of all, I'm always working on it. I'm always open to what is it that's up right now for me, that's being called of me. You know, when I looked at what happened when the pandemic hit, I realized that I had become out of balance. I found three different areas that I worked on, and I'll just share them with you. I like them because they rhyme. They were space, pace, and interface. 
these three ways were ways that I kind of needed to just get back to balance. So space, I had been going so fast that my space had been cluttered. Mm-hmm. My space had felt not aligned with what it was really made me happy. And both the space meant my external space, my home, and my internal space, my thoughts. So I really did some cleansing work on my external space and my internal space. I did a little practice called uh, 27-9. I went through and got rid of 27 items a day for nine days. Wow. And just, it was really, really, it's it's a discipline, it's a practice, but it was really amazing how when you can let go of the things in your space that no longer support who you are, how it creates an, uh, an opening for new energy to come in. Sure. I did that both with my physical space and then I did like a kind of a mental uh, diet where I looked at how often I was blaming, shaming, or complaining. Mm. <laughs> One of the keys I talk about in Happy for No Reason. So that was, was space. And then there's pace. I had been going at such a rapid pace that I wasn't actually really enjoying life as much. Another one of my teacher's mentors was Angelus Arian. Angelus Arian was a great cultural anthropologist. And she used to study the cultures all around the world. And she used to say that nature's pace is medium to slow. (laughs) That's good. Medium (laughs) to slow. And we're all going at 120, right? (laughs) And, you know, I I hadn't known medium to slow, you know, ever. And so I started going, okay, what would this feel like if I started going a little bit more medium to slow? And I started enjoying things more. So that was uh, pace. And then the last one was interface. You know, the coronavirus really has changed how we, how we connect with other people. I think it certainly made me go deeper in my connections with people mm-hmm. and really feel more just our, how important support is. And, and uh, I, I have a women's group. We, we, we met more often on Zoom. And those are the things that I've been doing. And it's, it's, it's a work in progress, as I say. But I feel so grateful. I, I can't imagine... Let's see, I guess it was 22 years ago when I started this really deep look into happiness. And my life is completely different now than mm-hmm. it was. And since then, I've been able to share this with you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And I've, I've, I get letters every day about how people are happier than they ever imagined they could mm-hmm. be. So rewarding. Well, if any of you listening have not read any of Marcy's books, I encourage you to do so, especially Happy for No Reason. I think you'll find it incredibly helpful especially right now. And I do have a link to the book right in my show notes just to make it easy for you. And there are many great resources in the book as well. And I also invite you to go to Marcy's website, happyfornoreason.com. Again, that's happyfornoreason.com. And you'll learn more about Marcy. She also has some wonderful free content that you can enjoy there as well. Marcy, it's delightful to be with you today. Even if we're miles apart, I I thank you so much for sharing your insights and wisdom today. Liz, it's been so great to be with you. And, and, you know, if I may, can I just share a proverb? I always like to end with this a Chinese proverb because I think it's very, very fitting, especially for these crazy times in the world. By all means. It really, <laughs> it really sums up why I'm so passionate about this. And it has to do with what I was saying about how when we change ourselves, we change the world. People often say, isn't it selfish to want to be happier? And I think it's the least selfish thing we can do. So here's this Chinese proverb that sums that up. It says, when there is light in the soul, there will be beauty in the person. 
When there is beauty in the person, there will be harmony in the house. When there is harmony in the house, there will be order in the nation. And when there is order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. And that is truly my prayer and my wish for all of us, that we feel that light in our own souls. And through that, that we help create more peace here on this planet of ours. And that is the perfect ending to our show today. Thank you, Marcy. And thank you to all of you for listening. My vision with this show is to share with you wonderful guests like Marcy, who are transforming not only their lives, but the lives of many people around them. And you can do it too. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.